Good morning, Meridian Church. I bring you greetings from Grace Community Church of Elgin. Um, I think Dusty has one of my uh, fellow elders has has uh, preached here before. It is a it's a joy to be with you, um, and uh, it's it's an even greater joy to get to open God's Word together with you this morning. Well, if you have a Bible and you haven't already, please open to Psalm 121. Psalm 121. If you're able, would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? Hear the Word of the Lord. A song of ascents. I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. Will you pray with me once more? Father, we come to you again this morning. God, I ask that you would bless the preaching of your word. Lord, I pray that you would enable my brothers and sisters to hear. And Lord, that you would enable us all to believe and to trust your word and to live by what it says. Strengthen me by your spirit, and would you bless our time together. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Well, I wonder what image comes to your mind when you hear the word pilgrim. Some of you might uh, think of Jimmy Stewart with John Wayne in The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. Um, or you, you might think of a man in a tall black hat with a square buckle on the band who's also wearing a black coat with a white collar and black pants with tall white socks and shoes with big square buckles on each. And if you're like me, uh, this image comes from uh, my days in elementary school when I learned about the first Thanksgiving and we would see pictures of of these these pilgrims. Um, The pilgrims that that came to uh, North America were Puritan Christian travelers from across the Atlantic looking for a new world, but really much closer to home. When, when we hear the word pilgrim, we ought to think of one another. We ought to think of our fellow, uh, fellow Christians. Um, God's people have been called pilgrims since the days of the Old Testament patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, and speaking of them and others in, in Hebrews eleven thirteen through 16, The writer to uh, the Hebrews said this, These all, speaking of these patriarchs, these all in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles or pilgrims on, on earth, for people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. And similarly, in 1 Peter 1.1, the apostle addresses the, the Christians of, in the, of the dispersion as elect exiles or, or pilgrims. And in chapter 2, verse 11 of, of 1 Peter, he urges them to live as Pilgrims in this world, abstaining from fleshly lust. 
The word pilgrim or exile literally means beside the people. Beside the people. It's where we get that idea that as Christians we are to be in the world, but not of the world. Like, like the Jews when they were exiled in Babylon. We should seek the welfare of our neighbors. We should seek the welfare of our cities, the places we live, and the people that we live beside. Um, but we're not to live as the rest of the world does because we desire a, a new world, a, a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And so while it is this earth that the Lord will restore and, and make new when He returns, we are not to be too at home here. We're not to be too comfortable here. We are on a journey as followers of Christ. We, we're on a pilgrimage from this world to to the next. And, and it's not an easy journey. Many of you know this and can testify to this. It's often full of difficulties and, and struggles of all kinds, various trials of various kinds, Peter says. But our struggles are not without purpose. We need to remember this. Our struggles are not without purpose. In fact, the Lord has made them, He has made our struggles and He's made our difficulties necessary for us. In our struggles, He intends to teach us and to train us, to, to refine us and to shape us into the likeness of Christ and to fix our hearts on Himself. Now, this morning's text is, is what can be called a pilgrim song. A pilgrim psalm. We, we, we're, we often don't think of the psalms as songs, but that's, that's what they are. It, it describes the trials of a journey, and it's meant to comfort and to encourage those that the Lord has redeemed. And so a main idea for, uh, for this morning's message is, is this. The Lord who redeemed you will help and keep you until He brings you home. The Lord who redeemed you will help you and keep you until He brings you home. In other words, we can trust God in all things because Christ has redeemed us. And as a result, no matter what we face, we can count on His covenant faithfulness. If, if you're an outline person in our text, we'll see three essential details of the pilgrim's journey. First, we'll see the pilgrim's common need. The pilgrim's common need. Secondly, we'll see the pilgrim's competent Compotent help, and I'll explain that word, compotent, in, in just, a, just a few moments. The, the pilgrim's compotent help and the pilgrim's complete security. The pilgrim's complete security. So, getting to our text, first we see the pilgrim's common need. Pilgrim's common need. Look again at verse 1. A song of ascents, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? What does this psalmist mean by, I lift up my eyes to the hills? Well, if, you, if you'll bear with me for, for a moment, um, seeing the context of this psalm helps us understand this phrase better, I think. As you can see, the superscription to Psalm 121 says that it is a song of ascents. A song of ascents. And, and it belongs to a group of 15 psalms of ascents. Psalm 120 through Psalm 120, 134. And the context is important here because there, there's an arrangement to and a flow to these psalms. Now the word for ascents means steps or, or stairs. And it has the idea of going up, ascending. Makes sense. 
And because a sense is plural, the superscription literally translates a song of the goings up. A song of the goings up. And the question is, what is meant by the goings up? Going up where? Going up when? Well, there's some ambiguity here, but I believe context shows three Spirit-intended uses of these psalms of ascents. First, these psalms describe Israel's journeys up to Israel from exile in Babylon. They were the northern kingdom exiled to Assyria, and then later the southern kingdom to uh, to the to the Babylonians, and then after which the the Persians uh, overcome the, the the Babylonians. But Ezra seven nine says, for on the first day of the first month, he Ezra began to go up from Babylon, to go up from Babylon, and on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem, for the good hand of his God was on him. But Israel's return from exile was. Gradual, and it happened in at least three major goings up. If you're familiar with their history, there was Zerubbabel who led a group to go back to Jerusalem to begin to restore things. See that in Ezra 2 2. And then we saw, as we saw in Ezra 7 9, Ezra, he goes and leads others to rebuild the temple. And then there's Nehemiah. You're familiar with him from the book of Nehemiah. He leads others to go and rebuild the walls of, of Jerusalem. And with each of these, they take uh, their, their fellow Israelites with them back to their, their homeland. And Israel came out of captivity in the lowlands of, of Babylon, surrounding areas, and went up to the highlands of Israel. And the content of these psalms confirms this idea of being displaced from their homeland. Uh, for example, Psalm 120, verses 5 and 6, just over on the next page. Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshech, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. And from Psalm 120 to Psalm 134, there's, there's a progression of Israel's steps in getting closer to home as you work through the songs there. And, and through these songs of ascent, the writers continually use language of sorrow for sin, sorrow for the, the oppression of their enemies. And, and they, you see a, a longing for the blessings of the Lord in Jerusalem to go back, to go back home. For, exa- uh, for example, Psalm 126, verses 1 through 3. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. So these 15 psalms serve as a memorial of God's grace in delivering Israel out of exile. Also, these psalms, while you'll notice some of these are songs of, psalms of David, who was before the exile, uh, these psalms, while written at different points in Israel's history, were likely compiled for Israelites to sing on their annual journeys up the landscape to Jerusalem for the feasts that we see outlined in Leviticus 23. So after the exile, these psalms were, you, you might say, they were like a, a hymnal for the pilgrimage. Uh, first, to, to Passover in the spring, to celebrate. And secondly, to Pentecost, celebrating the giving of the law in the summertime. And then thirdly, to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles and the Day of Atonement in the fall. Scripture speaks often of going up to Jerusalem. You'll see that even in the Gospel narratives. They went up to Jerusalem. You, you, you see it in, in a number of, of places. We see it in Psalm 122, verses, verses 3 and 4. 
Jerusalem built as a city that is, that is bound firmly together to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. Also, these psalms seem to describe the experience of pilgrims journeying to the feast. Again, Psalm 122, 1 and 2. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. And it's also been said that ascents may also even refer to the, the steps or the stairs that led up to the temple where the sacrifices were made. And so these, these psalms, these songs have, have been sung, uh, were sung as the people made their way not only to Jerusalem for the feast, but also to worship at, at the temple. And then finally, these, these psalms ultimately point us to Christ. And they would have pointed the Old Testament saints to Christ and, and our journey of discipleship in Him. If, if the Jewish pilgrims sung these psalms on the road to Jerusalem for the feast, then Joseph and Mary would likely have sung these psalms as they traveled to the city with young Jesus. And Jesus likely would have been taught to sing these psalms along with them. And Jesus uh, would have sang with His disciples, perhaps, as, as they traveled to Jerusalem on their different trips. And this should stir our hearts because here we see how these psalms are our psalms too. These are our songs. These are our pilgrim songs. Colossians 2.17, Hebrews 8.5 and 10.1 tell us that the feasts and the sacrifices of the Old Covenant were shadows and foreshadowings of Christ. He's our Passover lamb. That at Pentecost, He, he poured out His Spirit on His people. And that He is our atonement. He, our atonement is, is in Him. So, so Christ is the substance that casts the shadows of the feasts and the sacrifices. They're but the shadows of Christ who is the substance. And, and the Psalms of Ascent strengthen our faith in Him and help us celebrate His salvation. Also, Old Testament closely associates return of exile in Babylon with the hope of the coming Messiah. And, and what we see in the Psalms of Ascent is a careful arrangement around the theme of God's promise to David that He would send a Messiah. And so these Psalms are meant to be sung as expressions of hope in God's faithfulness to David and, and to Him fulfilling His promise in Christ. Re, return from exile holds out and raises the hope of the Messiah. But while Christ has redeemed us from exile because of sin, our journey home is not yet finished. Our, our pilgrimage is our life of discipleship in Christ throughout all, all of our struggles and all of our difficulties and our victories as well. And because these psalms are written as pilgrim songs, they are our songs. They're our psalms. And so as these psalms got the Israelites closer to Jerusalem, the, the Spirit also intended these psalms to get us ever closer to the one to whom the feast and the, the sacrifices and, and even the exile ultimately pointed. Now, the specific context of Psalm 121, uh, to, to talk about that for, for just a moment, Psalm 119 ends with these words, uh, verse 17, or verse 176, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. This is a, a picture, it fits, it fits the picture of Israel in exile, recognizing their sin, recognizing that they have gone astray like a sheep. 
And then Psalm 120 continues with the same idea. Israel strayed from the Lord, and like a lost sheep, they have faced the consequences of sin and now find themselves in foreign places, sojourning in Meshech and dwelling in the, in the tents of Kedar. Like we do sometimes, Israel lost their way and is calling out to the Lord in distress, asking for relief from the Lord's discipline and rescue from their enemies. And, and now in 121, we, we find lost, needy Israel affirming their hope and confidence in the Lord's salvation. So when we read, I lift up my eyes to the hills, whether we think of Israel's return home from exile um, and their, or their pilgrim, pilgrimages for the feast, we see uh, that because robbers and bandits in the hills waited for the travelers, the hills were dangerous places. So they, they lift up my eyes to the hills from where does my help come? It was a journey and it was a joyful journey, but, but it was also uh, an occasion for some anxiety. To, to make this journey. It's, it's not uh, hard to imagine. We've, we've probably all been in dangerous places and situations, perhaps with our families, and we, we weren't really quite sure what was going to happen. From, what, from where does our help come? We, we go through circumstances and difficulties that can cause us to feel rather helpless. Even knowing that we're in Christ and we have all things in Him, and so the writer considers his trouble and he asks, from where does my help come? But also, we recall that, that the hills were a, a goal and a motivation for returning exiles and pilgrims. Psalm 87, Psalm 125 talk about the holy mountain or mountains of Israel and, and of Jerusalem. So, so to Jewish travelers, the hills were also an occasion for joyful anticipation. The hills pointed to home, and the, and the hills led to Jerusalem. To them, the hills of Jerusalem were symbols of the Lord's faithfulness and, and marked the place of the Lord's special presence. And so, the psalmist's question is also a hopeful one. From where does my help come? We know where our help comes from. The pilgrim's common need is help. And our common need is, is help. So I ask you, when, when you need help, where do you look? Do you look within yourself? Do, do you look first to, to friends or family? Do, do you look to popular thought? Or do you not really look for help at all? Do you just give in to worry and, and despair? Next, the psalmist tells us where he looks and where we must look as well. Next, we see the pilgrim's competent, competent help. The pilgrim's competent help. Look again at verse 2. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. The psalmist and, and the pilgrim realizes that he cannot help himself, and, and so he looks to the Lord who possesses all power. The Lord who made heaven and earth. He is our compotent help. Compotent is a, it's an old Middle English word that we don't use anymore if you read the works of, uh, of Chaucer. You might see this word used there. But it's an old Middle English word that means to have mastery or full control, power, necessary, and sufficient ability. Similar to our word for uh, competent, but compotent. If you, if you think of the word like omnipotent, omnipotent, and compotent, he, he has the sufficient, he has the necessary power, he has the full control of all things for us to look to him with competence, or with, with confidence. Our, our Lord is all compotent. Many times I've, I've heard people say, well, you know, God helps those who help themselves. 
But that's not what the Bible says. And in fact, the, the Bible would deny that. We, we cannot help ourselves. We can't even take a half step toward God because left to ourselves, we're, we're dead in sin. We're, we're helpless and hopeless apart from Him. Only the power of God through His Word and Spirit is able to give us life and the help that we need. What, whatever, whatever we're facing, certainly for our sin, but then even after being saved from our sin to, to, to follow Christ in, in whatever, whatever circumstance, whatever trial the Lord leads us through. And so, rightly, the pilgrim says that his help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. God is omnipotent. He is all-powerful, possesses all power. And specifically, the, the psalmist is, is recalling that the Lord is, is omnificent. This is a word that I wasn't familiar with until just too long ago, but it, it refers to the fact that the Lord possesses unlimited power to create and to rule over His creation according to His character and for His glory. Colossians 1, 15-17 Speaking of Christ, says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. So let that sink in. Jesus is omnificent. And in John 14, he says that he is our helper. And in John 14, 7, he says that his spirit dwells in us. That means that on our journey as pilgrims, we need not fear anything in all creation, not people, not sickness, not civil upheaval or social unrest, not even death. And we need not fear these things, not because people will never hurt us, People will hurt us. Not because we'll never get sick or even because the Lord will heal us every time we do. He doesn't. And not because nations will not rage and kingdoms will never totter and fall. They will. And they do. And not because we will never die. If the Lord doesn't return, we will. We need not fear these things because He has all power to bring us through it and actually has purpose for it. His purpose for our difficulties. No, we need not fear these things because our help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And we are sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 8, brothers and sisters, the Lord who made heaven and earth is our help, and He will bring us home. And so the psalmist goes on to, to dwell on, thirdly, the pilgrim's complete security. The pilgrim's complete security. As we follow Christ through the hills and valleys and long for the hope of dwelling with Him in the new Jerusalem, we look to our Lord who directs and governs every providence. Notice the change from first person to second person as the writer preaches the truth to himself. Verses 3 and 4. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. 
When, when Israel and, and the psalmist needed help, they were to look first to the Lord and nowhere else. And the same is true for us. Psalm 46, verses 1 through 3. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. He is our help. We will not be moved. And, and how will He help? Look, look, at, look what it says. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Remember, this song is a, a song of ascents, of going up steps and, and stairs, a, a pilgrim journey. Psalm 66, 8 and 9 says, Bless our God, O peoples, let the sound of His praise be heard, who has kept your soul among the living and has not let your feet slip. Here again we see the Lord's omnipotence. If you belong to Him, no matter your circumstance, He will not let it be your undoing. Though you may struggle, He will keep you secure in His love and care. John Flavel, the Puritan, said this, Indeed, every providence neither does nor can do anything that is really against the true interest and good of the saints. For what are the works of providence but the execution of God's decree and the fulfilling of His Word? God is not only omnipotent, all-powerful, He is also omniscient, all-knowing. And in His infinite power and wisdom, He upholds, directs, disposes, and governs every detail of our lives for His glory. And if you love Him, for your good. But the psalmist continues, Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Here we see the, the unflinching covenant faithfulness of the Lord. See, you and I need to sleep. He doesn't. And whether, whether, we're, whether we're thinking of Israelite pilgrims on their way to Jerusalem, or coming out of exile, or, or us, while we sleep, He does not. He never slumbers or sleeps. The writer uses some form of the word keep six times in this psalm. It's, it's used in several ways in the Old Testament. It's used to describe how men, um, God and angels, guard things. To keep something is to, to guard it. it. It's also used to describe uh, shepherds taking care of their sheep, feeding and protecting them and guiding them, keeping them, keeping the, keeping the flock. It's used to describe brothers looking out for one another. The Lord keeps us in all these ways and more. He keeps us. As we, as we read earlier in our call to worship, John chapter 10, verse 27 through 30. My sheep, Jesus is speaking, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. He, he keeps us in, in, in covenant faithfulness. 1 Peter 1.5 says that God keeps or guards us by His power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Jude 1 says that God the Father keeps us for Jesus Christ. 
Jude 24, Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Elijah mocked the the pagan gods of Baal and Asherah and their prophets and 1 Kings 18, as they called out to them, saying that maybe their false gods were sleeping. But our Lord never sleeps. He he has no weaknesses. He he sees and knows all things. He, He knows every detail of your life even better than you. And Christian, He is more than able to keep you from slipping. But you should look to the Lord for help, not only because He has all power and all knowledge, but also look to our Lord who keeps constant presence. He keeps constant presence. Look at verses 5 and 6 in Psalm 121. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The psalmist, he continues using this journey, journey language here. In, in verse 5, shade speaks of the Lord's protective presence. And at your right hand speaks of His personal presence. The Lord is omnipotent and omniscient, and He is also omnipresent. Ever-present. Always. Hebrews 13.5 says that He will never leave nor forsake us. Psalm 46.1, as we read earlier, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Now, now verse 6 somewhat uh, puzzled me previously. Living in in Oklahoma, I I know well that the sun can strike you. But the moon? I think John Bunyan's helpful here. He says this, How sinful you are, O sleep! Because of you, my journey, which should have been in the light, has been overtaken by the night. I must walk without the sun. Darkness covers the path of my feet. And now I must listen to noises of miserable creatures, all because of my sinful sleep. The moon strikes us by its absence. It it has a dark side, you could say. But the Lord is with us, guiding and protecting us, even more nearly than He did the Israelites as they came out of Egypt as a pillar of cloud by day and one of fire by night, because He dwells in us. In fact, 1 Corinthians 10 explains that it was Christ who was present, leading and providing for the Israelites. And by His Spirit, He does the same for us now. Lastly, look to, we must look to our Lord who provides complete protection. Verse 7, The Lord will keep you from all evil. Every threat. The, the writer's not saying that no evil or disaster, or harm will ever touch the lives of God's people. We know that's not true. The Bible itself and all of history proves otherwise. What what this means is that no evil, no harm, no disaster will have the final and ultimate say for you. He will keep your life. He will keep your soul. He will keep the whole person. This word life can be translated soul here. It's used in Genesis 2-7 when uh, speaking of uh, God creating the first man. The Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and he became a living soul. Perhaps some of you were taught to pray as a child. Now I lay me down to sleep. 
I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Why is that a good prayer to pray? Because, friend, you can't keep your soul. You can't keep your soul. Psalm 34.22 says, The Lord redeems the life or the soul of His servants. None of those who take refuge in Him will be condemned. How does He redeem us? 1 Peter 1, 18 and 17. He has ransomed or redeemed us with the precious blood of Christ. Friend, you cannot keep your soul, but Christ has gone to the cross, shed His blood, and then risen, rose from the dead to redeem and keep all who turn from their sin and trust in Him alone. If you're still trying to keep yourself, cease and, and trust in Christ and follow Him, and He will keep your soul. And as we follow Him, we can know that. As verse 8 says, the Lord will keep your going out and your coming in. This is an expression that we find in the Old Testament to describe the everyday activity of a person. They're going out and they're coming in. Going out of their home, coming into their home. Well, all the different things that they would do in, in their daily life and, and in their, you know, their life at large. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in. He, he presides over, oversees the entirety of your life. And He will keep you. He'll keep your going out and your coming in. In And He will keep us from this time forth and forevermore, for all time. He never slumbers nor sleeps, and He never will. And we can rest secure knowing that the Lord who redeemed us will help and keep us until He brings us home. Whatever your need is in your present circumstances, as a, as a believer in Christ, know that He provides everything necessary for life and godliness in Christ. 2 Peter 1.3 If you're here this morning and you've not trusted in Christ, your greatest need is to trust in Christ. Turn from your sin and trust solely in the perfect righteousness of Christ that He gives to us through His death and resurrection when we trust in Him. And He will keep you. I'll close with a sample from John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. Bunyan says, Prudence is speaking first. Prudence speaking to Christian. says, And what is it that makes you so desirous to go to Mount Zion? Christian answers, Why there I hope to see Him alive that did hang dead on the cross. And there I hope to be rid of all those things that to this day are in me and annoyance to me. There they may say there is no death. And there I shall dwell with such a company as I like best. For to tell you the truth, I love Him because I was by Him eased of my burden. And I am weary of my inward sickness. I would fain be where I shall die no more and with the company that shall continually cry, Holy, Holy, Holy. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You because You keep us. No one can snatch us out of Your hand. We, we rest in Christ and we need not worry of our circumstances, our difficulties that we face. We need not worry that we need to make up the difference for our sin. Christ has 
paid the penalty for it in full, and we can rely solely upon Him. And because You have purchased us with the blood of Your Son, we know that we can rely on You in all things. Lord, help us. Help our unbelief. And help us to rely solely upon Christ and look to You in all things. We pray this in the good name of Jesus. Amen.